Genesis 18. So have you ever had a surprised guest show up at your house or show up in your life? So I had one. I kind of brought it on myself. It was, I don't know, a bunch of years ago. It was after a big tournament in Medford where my girls were playing soccer. Uh, We were driving home on Monday, coming back from it. It's end of May. It was Memorial Weekend. And as we're driving, I'm doing the dad thing, giving my kids advice, lecturing them, they call it. I call it instructing them. So I'm lecturing or instructing, depending on the way you look at it. And uh, there was some discouragement. So I'm like, hey, girls, two things. Number one, if you want to play soccer, don't let anyone talk you out of it. Just play soccer. Play soccer because you love to play soccer. It doesn't matter wins or losses. You play it because you love it. So just keep playing. And I said, number two, the game is not what happens on Saturday. The game is what you did on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday you'll play like you practice. So I was hammering that into them. I probably repeated it multiple times. And as we're driving, I'm driving, I see this guy walking on Interstate 5 and he's wearing a black trench coat and it's like 95 degrees. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness. He looked like Lurch. He was like a giant of a man. And for some reason, I'm like, okay. I start pulling over and my wife is like, what are you doing? I'm like, he needs a ride. I just gotta get this guy a ride. So we pull over and Lurch gets in. I'm like, hey, I'm Matt. He's like, I'm Daryl. <laughs> He's barely fitting there. I've got all my kids in there. And now this giant of a man who's just like there. And Elijah's like, hey, I got a shotgun at home. I'm like, really, Elijah? <laughs> Actually, that's kind of helpful. Keep talking about the shotgun, bud. <laughs> so that starts and, and uh, he says, oh, you know, he's got a story and he's telling us the story. We're like, oh, okay, that's crazy. He needs to get to Roseburg. I'm like, well, I can give you a ride to Grants Pass. So we're driving and he kind of notices the girls are in their soccer uniforms. He's like, you guys play soccer? I'm like, yeah, we just left the tournament. He's like, I played soccer. I'm like, oh, okay, great. He goes, yeah, I went to college on a scholarship playing soccer. And I'm looking at him like, okay. And he's huge, you know, most soccer players aren't huge. I mean, he's, he's six foot six. He's just a giant of a man. He's like, I was the goalie. I'm like, well, okay, that makes sense. I said, what school did you go to? He's like, I went to the University of Oregon. I'm like, everything makes sense now. Totally get it, all right. <laughs> and then he looks at my girls, and this is what he said. He said, let me tell you two things. Number one, if you want to play soccer, never let anybody talk you out of it. You play soccer. Number two, it's not what happens on Saturday. It's how you practice during the week that makes you a good player on Saturday. I just went, my daughters looked at me like, did you set this up? Is there a hidden camera somewhere? I just said, Daryl, I love you. We're going to Roseburg, man. <laughs> Keep talking. <laughs> a great surprise guess, right? Well, Abraham in chapter 18 is getting a surprise guest. And the end of this chapter, there is something shocking that really, for, a, for the beginning of this book, is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. It is shocking what happens at the end. So pay attention at the end. Let's go. Verse 1, chapter 18, the surprise guest. And Yahweh appeared to him, Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. 
He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, this is Adonai. It's a term of respect. If I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three seas of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk. The milk there is probably camel's milk. It's turned into kefir. Everybody would want seconds on that, right? I'll have some more of that kefir, camel milk, and a calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. Abraham's surprised because it tells us in verse one that they're walking in the heat of the day. Nobody does that. So what you would do if you were a nomadic person 4,000 years ago, even to this day, you get up at six, you walk till 12, you take a long siesta till about 5.30, and then you'll walk till dark. No one walks in the heat of the day, right? That's not the time to walk. So we hiked the Pacific Crest Trail, um, a couple of us, Sean Logue, another guy. I always like to get up at six and quit at noon. That's, that's when I want. I don't want to be hiking at 334 because it's miserable. So these guys, they're hiking at the wrong time. Abraham notices this and instantly springs into hospitality. It might be, some scholars say, that Hebrews 13, verse 2 and 3, is actually about this story. That when you entertain somebody, it just might be a really special guest. So notice what he does real quick. He's eager. It says he ran and bowed. He's 99 years old. He ran and he bowed himself to the ground. I'm 45. I don't bend at the waist anymore. I kneel down to pick up things. This guy, he is so into this. He runs out, bows, and then over and over it says he quickly, quick, make some bread. Quick, go prepare this calf. It's like Abraham is so excited to entertain unexpected guests. Are we the same way? I think we should be. We're so often caught up in my house doesn't look a certain way. I don't have the correct kind of food. All these excuses, instead of just being, hey, what an awesome surprise. I'm eager to serve you. Abraham is eager to serve. Next, it's personal. If you followed us in Abraham's story, he's got buco bucks right now. He's a multi, multi-millionaire. Does he outsource the service to these guests? Does he command a servant to do it? No, he does it himself. Goes in, says to Sarah, hey, honey, make some bread. We had a bread maker for a long time. It was hard making bread in a bread maker. Making bread by hand, hard work. 90-year-old wife makes some bread. She does it. He personally goes out to his flock or his herd, looks through them, 
finds the right one, selects it, right? Gets it prepared, and then he personally comes and serves his three guests. I love that. He works hard to be hospitable to these three guys. I hope we're that way too, that we work hard. Is there a reward to being hospitable like this? I think so. So growing up, my mom had two cookbooks. Back when I was a kid, there were, I think there was only two cookbooks. It was Betty Crocker, and what was the other one? The Joy of Cooking, right? Those were the two, every, every person had Betty Crocker and The Joy of Cooking. And I always looked at that book and I'm like, there's no joy in cooking. That is a fictional book. Until I learned to cook a couple little meals, it's still all I know, but they're kind of cool meals, like a, uh, it's a Thai dish that people love. And there is such joy when you've really gone and selected the right kind of meat, got all the ingredients together, cut it up, prepared it, and then you see people enjoy it. Man, there's joy in that. It's like a really cool joy. I think Abraham knows that as well. And then he's super generous. He says to these guys, let me get you a morsel of bread. Is that what he gets for them? No way, right? Fresh baked bread. He goes and kills a fatted calf. They get some camel's kefir. They get some cheese. I mean, he goes, he throws a feast fit for a king. The commentaries say, this is a meal that you would make for somebody that what you considered to be your most important guest ever. That's the level Abraham goes for three strangers. He doesn't know who they are yet. He just says, these guys, man, they deserve it. Like he under promises and over delivers. That's one of the themes for my life. I want to always under promise. Hey, let me get you a piece of bread and show up with a steak and some kefir and some cheese and some Really, really good fresh baked bread. I love that. He is real generous. If people looked at your life, looked at you as a neighbor, looked at you as an employer or an employee, would they say you're generous? I hope so. I think we should work on surprising people with generosity. So I don't know how long it was, 10 years ago? I had my Volkswagen van painted. Took it out to this guy in Selma. Um, great guy, older guy, 65 years old. Uh, gave me a great deal. He said, it'll be 2,400 bucks to do some body work and paint it. I said, great. When I delivered the van to him, his wife was out and they had this, the field was bigger than this room. The grass was about this tall and she was mowing it with a 20 inch push mower. You just, she'd go, and it'd go, like, like, you know, inching along through this. I'm like, man, that is miserable. How do you get your wife to do that? I asked him. <laughs> so uh, he, he's got my Volkswagen for a while. It took him like three months to do it. And during that time, my father-in-law gave me a practically brand new riding mower, but I already had one. And I thought, you know what I'm gonna do with this? So when he finished it, he said, what's well, not 2,400 bucks? It's $3,000. I said, no problem. I went out there and I took a trailer. I put that riding lawnmower on the center of it, took it out to him and I showed up and this is what he said to me. He goes, no, 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 no. I don't take any trades. I need $3,000. So I pulled out $3,000 cash. I said, here's your three grand. The lawnmower is for your wife. She just started crying. He's like, no one's ever done that to me. 
They've always tried to talk me down. They've always tried to badger me. Why did you do that? And this is what I told them. I said, God has been so generous to me. I want to be generous to other people. I think we, if we did that as a people, under promise and over deliver, oh my goodness, our witness, our light shine bright. I say if you're at a restaurant and you mention the name of Jesus, you better tip hugely. If you pray before you eat that meal, you better tip hugely because you're representing our king who's been so generous. Be a generous people. That's what Abraham is right here. So who is this person? We'll see in the next verse, if you're here on Sunday, that it's Yahweh, right? Verse one says, Yahweh appeared to him. It's the covenant name of God. So who is this person? Because it seems like in the scriptures, there's these things like you can't see God and live, right? So who in the world is in Abraham's tent eating a meal with him? There's all kinds of debate. Here's where I land. The, some Jewish rabbis had this term for these appearances and they called it the second Yahweh. I kind of like that. I think it's God, the son, or the second Yahweh. It's not Jesus because Jesus is when God, the son, becomes a man, 100% God, 100% man, that's Jesus. This is God the Son. And I believe that because if you look at John chapter eight, Jesus has this long discussion with the Pharisees and they're like, hey, they're, they're arguing about fatherhood. And Jesus says, you're of your father, the devil, right? Really, really harsh terms. And then they're like, no, we're not. We're sons of Abraham. And then Jesus says this, he says, it's verse 56. Abraham wanted to see my day, and when he did, he rejoiced. And they're like, what? You're not even 50 years old. How in the world did you see Abraham? And Jesus replies, before Abraham was, I am, which is the I am, the covenant name of God. So I believe Jesus is talking about this event right here. Abraham saw me and delighted in it. And if you keep looking at the Bible, there are these appearances of, you can call it the second Yahweh or God the Son, and they're very anthropomorphic. They're very like human. So Genesis 3, it says that God appeared walking in the cool of the garden. Does God the Father, Spirit, does he walk? Probably not. So there's something interesting even there, like who is this? Then you keep going, Genesis 32 Jacob and Esau have had their issue. Jacob runs away, and then he's, he decides he's gonna come back to meet Esau. He's worried that Esau is gonna kill him. He goes out for a night to pray and pray and pray, and somebody shows up. And it says that Jacob wrestled with that being all night, and then he's touched in the hollow of his hip. He's made lame. And then it says this, that Jacob wrestled with God and prevailed. Who's he wrestling with there? I think it's the second Yahweh or God the Son. Then you move forward, Joshua. Joshua's ready to go into Jericho. He's kind of freaked out. Man, this is a, uh, 
a major military event. It's the first one in my life. What am I gonna do? He's out praying. He meets this stranger. He's like, who are you? Whose side are you on? And the, the stranger just says, neither. But I am captain of the armies of God. And it says that jo- Joshua fell on his face and worshiped this being. Do angels ever receive worship in the Bible? No, read Revelation. Twice John tries to worship the angel. And both times the angel's like, stop it, man. Don't do that to me. I'm just like you. We worship God alone. Yet this being receives worship. You can just go on and on and on and on. The second Yahweh or God the Son. So I believe it's God the Son having a meal with Abraham. And I think it fits perfectly because you'll have Passover feast coming after that. And Passover points directly to the work of God the Son as Jesus. And then you keep going on that. Jesus, at the end of his time here, he says, there's one thing I wanna do with you guys. I wanna eat a meal with you, right? Then you look at the book of Revelation, Revelation 3.20. I stand at the door of men's heart and I knock. If any man will open to me, I will come in and eat or sup with him. And then this age, it terminates, Revelation 19, in what? The marriage feast of the lamb. So there's this theme. Jesus loves to eat with his people. So every Sunday we celebrate that. We have a meal with Jesus, communion. So that's what I think on this. You don't have to believe that. You can read commentaries and they'll say other things. Makes the most sense to me. So that's a surprise guest. Then verse nine, they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And she said, excuse me, and he said, she is in the tent. Yahweh said, I will surely return to you this time next year and Sarah, your wife shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? And Yahweh said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for Yahweh? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it saying, I did not laugh for she was afraid. I bet she was. And he said, no, but you did laugh. This was Sunday's message. You can podcast it or get a CD. I'll make one final note on this. I think this whole section, one through 15, is all for Sarah. That the second Yahweh, Jesus, before the incarnation, God the Son, shows up, all for Sarah. So there's a debate. Did Abraham ever tell Sarah about chapter 17? About the promise God had made to him. That it's not gonna be through Ishmael, it's gonna be through Isaac. No one knows. Maybe Abraham never told her. Maybe Abraham was worried about disappointment. I don't know. We don't know. Here's what I do know. Nobody can know God through someone else. And so God now is coming to Sarah to reveal himself personally to her. And I like that. You cannot know God through 
someone else, even your husband, even your wife. So I have a professor and he says this, a lot of people's faith is based on ask your John. So he just goes down the line. Some people it's ask John Calvin that whatever John Calvin believed about Jesus, that's what I'm gonna believe. And he's a great dude. Or ask John Edwards, whatever he believed about Jesus, that's what I'm gonna believe. Or more modern, ask John Piper, whatever John Piper believes about Jesus, that's what I wanna believe. Or ask John MacArthur, whatever he believed about Jesus, I'm gonna believe. Or ask John Corson, right? Great people. But ultimately, ultimately, you can't know Jesus through someone else. And in Matthew chapter seven, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, many will come to me in that day and they'll say, hey, didn't we do these great works for you? And Jesus will say to them, depart from me, I don't know you, right? I don't know you. See, yeah, ask John, yes, learn about those things, but there's another side to it. We also are to know Jesus and to pursue him and to know him and to walk with him and pray to him. That's the other side as well. So I think God the Son is coming for Sarah here. You need to know me too, all right? Then, verse 16, the men set out from there and they looked down towards Sodom and Abraham went with them to set them on their way. I love that. That's more hospitality, right? To walk somebody out to their car, to walk them out, open the door for them. He, Abraham is doing the full meal deal. Yahweh said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become great and a mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen or literally known him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of Yahweh by doing righteousness and justice so that Yahweh may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then Yahweh said, because the outcry, that word outcry, it's a very specific word. It's used in Exodus 22, verse 21, about widows and orphans who are under the thumb of oppression, crying out to God for help. So the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave. We'll see it in chapter 19. I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. I call this the deliberation. So Abraham follows these three guys out and he starts walking with them and and on the way, it's almost like you hear God talking to himself. Yahweh, mm, I should tell Abraham this. You ever wonder why certain people seem to get more revelation than other people? You ever wonder why some people always seem to kind of have this pulse on what's happening? I think we get told right here why Abraham gets this revelation from Yahweh, Right? I'll tell you, here they are. Number one, and it's not as smart or as charisma or as good looks or as money. First of all, verse 18 says, seeing Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. What is that? 
It's the Genesis 12 Abrahamic covenant. So it's God saying, I've covenanted with this guy. He's my friend. He, he's my, part of my, I've made a covenant with him. I'm going to reveal to him because he is a covenant partner with me. So it's a covenant. Do you know that every believer in here has that same covenant made with them? Jesus says, John 15, 15, I don't call you servants anymore because servants don't know what their masters do. I call you friends because everything the Father has shown me, I'm letting you know. We have the same covenant, a covenant of revelation and a covenant of knowledge. Number two, verse 19 says, for I know him that he will command his children and his household after him to keep the way of Yahweh. Number two, why is Abraham told this? Because Abraham is not a container of revelation. He's a conduit of it. What I'm going to tell Abraham, I know he's going to go tell his son, Isaac, Ishmael, other people. He's going to tell his servants. He's going to spread this thing out. So I'm going to tell him. Are we conduits or containers? Hopefully we're conduits. So I remember uh, early on when I kind of started really being interested in the things of the Lord, like Charity and I were dating and we drive out to Applegate and it's 40 minute drive. And then driving back in, like I had a, a much better memory then. So my memory's like, yeah, dropping more and more. I'm like, what did I, oh, I can't remember that. Like it's, it's getting like, I don't know feels like molasses in there. But so I had a good memory. And, and so driving home, I'd joke and I could kind of pretty much retell the whole message to Charity on the way home and like do all the John Corson things like, all right, gang, get your pencils, Bible students. Ho, 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 ho. So I'd be doing the whole thing. And yeah, it was just a jerk kind of. <laughs> so I was joking around. And then I got sent to Vanuatu where all of a sudden I was teaching the Bible 10 hours a week. So two one-hour classes a day, everything changed for me. I'm like, oh my goodness, I can take this serious. I gotta really know what's going on. Taking notes and like really studying, getting everything down. What happened? Before I was just kind of joking around, all of a sudden, I need to be a conduit here. And to be a conduit, I have to get serious. One of the best ways to be in that flow of revelation is to be sharing what Jesus is showing you. That's what happens. So here, Abraham, I'm going to tell him because he's going to share it. And that's what I want. And then lastly, he doesn't just preach it. Notice the end of verse 19. By doing righteousness and justice. These are two huge words in the Old Testament. I've mentioned them time and time again I'll keep mentioning them. They're the Hebrew sadaqah and mizpah. It's what God wants. Sadaqah or righteousness is literally a life of shalom with God. A life of shalom with yourself and a life of shalom with others. It's a well-ordered, flourishing existence. That's, that's sadaqah. Justice or mizpah is saying, since I have this, I am going to be inconvenienced for those that are vulnerable and weak 
to help them have a well-ordered, flourishing life as well. That's these two words. And they are repeated so many times. It's what God wants right here. I want Sadakah and I want Mizpah. I want these two things. So in the New Testament, you could almost use two words that are similar to them, justification and sanctification, right? Because we know this about Abraham's righteousness. Genesis 15 Verse six says, Abraham believed, literally in the Hebrew, amend. Abraham amend Yahweh, and it was counted to him as sadakah, righteousness, right? That's justification. You're justified by faith alone. But then he didn't just do it, he all, or he didn't just believe something, that's it. He was doing righteousness and justice. He practiced it. He lived it, which would be sanctification, And we see him caring about justice. You see it there in chapter 14 when he rescues Sodom and Lot and the people there. He cares about justice as well. So just brilliant. You wanna be a conduit of God's revelation? Are we doing these things? Are we sharing? Are we just preaching but not practicing it? Are we sharing and also living it out? Because Sodom and Gomorrah, do not have Sadakah and Mizpah, and they're destroyed. And we'll see that next Wednesday. Brutal chapter, all right? Now we go to this fascinating section. Verse 22. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham stood still before Yahweh. That's really an interesting wording there. It's actually kind of reversed, but I don't want to go there. If you want to, look that up in a study Bible. Then Abraham drew near and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you, for you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Be that far from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just. And Yahweh said, if I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. I, who am but dust and ashes, suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy if I find 45 there. Again, he spoke to him and said, Suppose 40 are found there. He answered, For the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, Ah, Let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. He said, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again. But this once, suppose 10 are found there. And he answered, For the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. 
And Yahweh went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. Isn't that bizarre? <laughs> you ever been to a third world country? Try to buy like a blanket or something? It's like that. It's like he just saw like, okay, went to a third world country and watched somebody barter for melons, right? It's, it's really interesting. Like it's, you just have to kind of stand back and think, why is this in here? Because in the end, Sodom gets destroyed. And so I said on Sunday, and I keep trying to say this, that Genesis is written to shape the way we think, to shape our understanding of God, right? So this is supposed to be shaping you and me in the way that we see God. So what's it shaping us to do? It's shaping us to be priests. Abraham here is performing a priestly duty right here, and it is brilliant. He's interceding. Notice how he intercedes. Number one, he draws near. I love that, verse 23. It's like he got as close to, to Yahweh as he could. Like, ah, oh. it's like James 4, 8. I gotta get close to you. Draw near to me, and I'll draw near to you. I'm getting on my face. I'm getting close to you. He is, I think, maybe Ezekiel 22:30 is written about Abraham that says, I looked for one man to stand into the gap for this city, and I couldn't find him. I'm looking for somebody that will intercede for this city. So Abraham knows this, that movement of the kingdom is a partnership with our king. It's like this. It's like a safety deposit box, right? You have to have your key, and then the banker brings his key, and then the thing is open, and you get the treasure inside. Abraham knows this. For something to happen to spare Sodom, I have to put my key in, which is intercessory prayer, and God has to put his key in, which is him saying yes, right? So he gets this. It's really awesome. And then number two, notice this. He prays God's character. Verse 25, far be it from you to do such a thing, right? And this classic line, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? You're a just God. Won't you do what's just? He praised God's character. We're to pray God's character as mercy and his grace and his kindness and his justice. That's what Abraham does. And number three, he prays for people. Notice he doesn't pray for Lot. He prays for the entire city, right? This is radical when you look at the Bible because most intercessory prayer is for like righteous people, good people. This is for a super corrupt city. In verse 24, he says this. He says, would you... Spare that city. The word spare there in the Hebrew is forgive. Could you, Yahweh, could you forgive? Could you forgive that city? Here's what Abraham's doing. And it's the first time you see it in the Bible. Would you not punish sinners because of righteous people? Do you know how radical that is? Would you not punish those wicked, evil people 
because of some righteous people. If you look at the Bible, Genesis 6 was there's one righteous dude and everyone else is going down. Here, Abraham is saying, is it possible to do something different here? Is it possible that you could spare a bunch of bad people because of a couple righteous people? I'm telling you, this is the deep end of theology right here. It's the deep end of the Bible. And it's here on page 18, if you would. It's unbelievable to me. Let me try to explain it to you. Okay, so most of us know this. Disease, not health, spreads, right? So if you are a healthy person in the middle of a bunch of people that have the flu and you're working with them every single day, is your health gonna make them healthier? What's gonna happen to you? You're gonna get the flu. Disease, illness spreads. That's why we have a natural kind of recoiling from people that have diseases, right? So I, I've met one leper in my life in India and she, didn't have, she had nubs for, like she just had two nubs and her face was deformed. And um, in India, when you're over there, because I was a pastor, whenever something was kind of a little different, they always wanted me to come see it. So like, Pastor Matt, come here. We found a 10 foot cobra. You know, I'm good. Thank you, right? And it was like, hey, we found a leper. Pastor Matt, come here. I'm like, you know, I don't wanna be a glory hog. Take one of the other guys, let them see. So she's a super sweet lady, but there was a, just a natural like, whoa, oh man, I do not want to get leprosy. We have this natural kind of hmm towards it. And when you look at the Old Testament, the Old Testament is actually shaped around clean and unclean, right? There's tons and tons of these laws that say this thing's clean and this thing is unclean. And God in the Bible carries around, if you would, a really clean space. And I compare it to like an operating room. Operating rooms have rules about them, right? You can't walk into an operating room if you just stop, stepped in dog poop, right? It's, that's against the rules. You can't pick your nose and pick up uh, whatever, a scalpel and start cutting on somebody. It's against the rules, right? So a lot of the Old Testament is shaped like that. God has this clean thing around him. And for you to enter into his presence, there's rules because God is clean if you would. And so most of the rules are three things, really. They're lepers, dead things, and um, sexual emissions. That's the three. Those are the big three. If you have these three, then it's like you stepped in dog poop. You can't come into God's presence, but it doesn't mean you're a sinner. So if your grandpa dies in your house and you've got to get him out of your house, you need to carry him out of the house. Well, that makes you unclean, but you're not a sinner. You're just taking care of business, right? So it doesn't necessarily mean you're a sinner. It just means you've touched something that cannot be around God. And if you look at those three things, they deal with the curse, right? Death, obviously curse. Leprosy is going to kill you. It's the curse. Sexual omission is this. What could have brought life is now dead because that's a life giving fluid. Very different from other things, right? If I spit on the ground, a little baby doesn't pop out, right? But sexual emissions have in them life, and that life just died. So all of them are wrapped around. If you've experienced, if you would, the curse, then you can't come into God's presence. Don't bring death into God's presence, right? So, so, so Abraham here, 
what he's doing is something unbelievable. He's saying that thing, the transfer of disease, the transfer of uncleanness to clean, could you reverse that? Could you take clean? Could you take clean and have the clean transfer to the dirty? That's what he's actually asking. He's asking it over and over and over again. Do you know how huge that is? Because what happens in the New Testament? You have Jesus come. And Jesus, in Matthew, the first gospel you read, preaches this Sermon on the Mount, brilliant. The very first miracle he does is chapter eight, is a leper comes to him. That bad, bad thing in the Old Testament, that unclean thing in the Old Testament, the thing that you're not ever supposed to touch. And what does Jesus do to that leper? He touches him. And the leprosy doesn't transfer to Jesus. What transfers to the leprosy? Jesus' health and life. It's really answering Abraham's intercession. It doesn't make Jesus unclean. It makes the unclean guy clean. So in the Old Testament, the curse is contagious. But Jesus comes and life is contagious. It's a reversal. It's really what's being asked for right here. Could, could a righteous person make unrighteous people righteous? That's what's being asked here. Isn't that the entire New Testament? Could a righteous, could the right kind of righteous person actually cleanse a whole filthy, dirty city, right? That's really what he's asking. It's brilliant. It's unbelievable. And what does God say every time he asks it? Yeah, right? 50, sure. 45, sure. 30, sure. 20, sure. 10, sure. And it's like right there, Abraham loses his nerve. Maybe I should ask for one, but I can't. He loses his nerve and walks away. What if Abraham had said, could the righteousness of one save the city? How do you think God would have answered? I think Romans chapter five tells us the answer because Romans five just lays this whole thing out. Because of Adam's sin, everybody was made unrighteous, but because of Jesus' righteousness, everybody can be made righteous, right? I think the answer would have been, God would have said, yeah, Abraham, one dude's righteousness will save the whole city, but he loses the nerve. Pray big prayers. Ask God for big things. Don't lose your nerve at 10. Go all the way, all the way. Have, have, have big prayers. Okay? So he's being a priest here. Notice he's fervent, right? Ask, 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 ask. New Testament says it is the effectual fervent prayers of the righteous that avail much. Don't give up. It's been 25 years, right? Of Abraham and Sarah trying to have a kid. Don't give up. Don't give up. Abraham asked and asked and asked and asked. Don't give up. Keep asking. But here's what happens. God goes down and destroys the city. Chapter 19, I'm giving it away. So then there's this objection then. We say, well, I thought God was a merciful God. I don't believe in a God of judgment. I believe in a God of mercy. You cannot believe in a God of mercy unless you believe 
that he's also a God of judgment. They go hand in hand. The outcry that God talks about back in verse 20, it's widows and orphans. It's we'll see in chapter 19, or verse 20, I should say. In chapter 19, we'll see that it's a bad place. People are being hurt there. Probably every stranger that comes in there is being hurt. God's saying, I'm hearing this outcry. If God is not a God of judgment, then he's not having mercy on the people that are praying to him saying, this place is bad. It hurts people. Do something about it. Does that make sense to you? God has to be both merciful and judging in order to protect those that are underneath the oppression of bad people. And so God's holy love says, I have to deal with that. But ultimately, his holy love says, I'm going to absorb all that into myself and it will kill me to deal with it. That's ultimately the plan. Brilliant chapter. Brilliant. So let me ask you two questions and we're done. Number one, what if Abraham had not been hospitable? What happens in this chapter? Is it just gone? Does Lot get killed? What happens if Abraham is not hospitable? Is Sarah still depressed because she's still, you know, she doesn't know the promise. She, she, we, we did that on Sunday. God comes and deals with her and moves her and reveals to her and helps her. What, what happens if Abraham is not hospitable? Then he misses out. How much do we miss out? Because our house is not clean, our house is not done, our house is something, and we're not hospitable. Don't miss out. Be hospitable people. Invite your neighbors over. Invite coworkers over. Have barbecues. Don't miss out. Then number two, we look at what's going to happen like hellfire and brimstone and punishment for sinners and all this stuff. That's not what the story is about. The story is about high priestly intercession and its effect on this world. So I read this today and I thought to myself, Sodom was essentially Abraham's neighbor and he intercedes for the whole thing. Really bad people there. Not just Lot, his friend, the whole city. I want the whole city saved. When's the last time I thought to myself that I've actually gone down my neighborhood and prayed for the people, you know, some of them I don't agree with what they're doing, no doubt about it. When's the last time though I've just prayed down my road for the people that I know in my neighborhood? And I said, it's been too long. So I just took time today and I went down my road in my mind and just prayed for each one of my neighbors. I prayed... God's character, be merciful, be generous, bless them, love them. Help me to demonstrate that to them. I just went down and prayed for my neighbors because intercession works. Pray for your neighbors. Don't give up. Pray for them. Pray for the ones that you really don't like because bad things were happening in Sodom. Abraham didn't like it. He liked righteousness and justice, but that didn't stop him from praying for them. Whoever you don't like, the 1%, or people with sexual problems, or potheads, or meth heads, those are the people you should be praying the most for. That's who you should be really, really praying for. 
that God reveals to you his greatness and his mercy. That's what this text is about, intercession. Because we are, every single one of us that believes in Jesus, we are called the priesthood of believers. And we get to do the same thing Abraham does, pray, intercede, and see God work. So Jesus, what a brilliant glimpse of your work Can a whole city be spared because of a righteous few? Or could a whole world be spared because of the righteous one? And the answer is yes. Your righteousness spreads and cleanses me and cleanses us, gets rid of the garbage. Thank you for that. May we be a group of people that have been so affected by you, so infected by you, that we cannot help but to share the good news, to live the good news like Abram, Abraham, and to pray for those around us. And may we see our city transformed for your glory. And we pray this because you are the righteous one, because you are the gracious one, because you are the merciful one, because you are coming in judgment. And we want to see no one judged. So Jesus, save our city, spare our city because of your righteousness. And we ask this in your name. Amen.